0: The one. <laughs> <laughs> we the ones they talking about.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. They talk
0: Broadway about. Sports Media. Choose
1: your fighter.
0: The Justin and Justin, Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person.
1: I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately.
0: Quarantine and chill.
1: We all we got. Yes, hey, sorry, Titans on right? three. One, two, three. Titans! Titans!
0: welcome into this week's episode of the music city audible presented by broadway sports media partnered with 440 sports i am your host justin graver joining me as always is justin Mello. how are you doing on this another fine thursday evening
1: i'm doing well thanks
0: as always for
1: asking and i'm excited about this show because we got a good one today we had a great guest for this one
0: we had a great guest we are of course previewing the cleveland browns this week and our guest to do so is jeff lloyd the host of locked on browns a friend of justin's and a browns expert who gave us a lot of great insight we will get to that interview in a bit but before we do i want to do something a little fun with you on this show i want to talk about our titans pro bowl ballots so we'll just go through the players we think deserve to be in the pro bowl it's not everyone just so you know, and uh, kind of make our own little ballots here and see if see if we agree or disagree. So I'm going to start us off right off the bat with this and say that Ryan Tannehill 100% deserves to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. Do you agree? I do. Um, how many? I mean, how many three AFC quarterbacks in the Pro Bowl? I believe Bowl? that. Yeah, that is right.
1: Yeah, I think you have a, a great chance to make a case for him. Look, who's better? Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think you made a great case for Ryan Tannehill to to
0: go to the the, the Pro Bowl and represent the AFC. Yeah. I think you got Ben Roethlisberger is just a name on an 11 and O team. So people might be looking at him, although I don't think he particularly deserves it. Lamar Jackson obviously went last year, but he doesn't seem to be in the running this year. Josh Allen opened the season playing excellent football, but he has really kind of fallen off since then. You kind of look at maybe Deshaun Watson, Justin Herbert as a rookie is going to get a lot of love just for being a rookie. I I say Deshaun Watson, just because you know that he's a big star name, but I wouldn't take either of those guys over Tannehill.
1: No, I think if there's three and all the names that you mentioned there, I probably go Mahomes, uh, Ryan Tannehill and Josh Allen. Those would be my three.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Obviously Miami's quarterbacks have been in and out. Joe Burrow's hurt. Baker Mayfield hasn't done much the last month or so. We'll talk about that later, but obviously wind extenuating circumstances. Jaguars have gone through lots of quarterbacks. So of the Broncos, Derek Carr was so bad last week in Atlanta. I can't see how anyone would vote for him. The jets have had multiple quarterbacks and cam Newton has more interceptions, maybe twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. I'd have to look that up to see, but so, yeah, I think it's a pretty clear cut race there. Tannehill a hundred percent deserves to be in and he, he should make it. So we'll see how that shakes out. Let's move to the next position where King Henry, I think this is even more obvious, but what running backs in the AFC are even close to Henry Nick Chubb? Is that it?
1: Yeah, I would say Nick Chubb. I mean, I I really like Josh Jacobs as well, but Derek Henry's a no brainer. I mean, he's number one in rushing. Number two is Dalvin cook who's an NFC running back. And then number three, I think it's James Robinson and he's nowhere, you know, the Jags runner and he's nowhere even close to Henry. So I think of, of course Derrick Henry's a no brainer be the number one name on any ballot.
0: Yeah, we don't even have to spend a lot of time there. Let's talk about the receivers, because right now, if you look at the standings, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, I don't think Corey Davis is going to make it, and I don't think he deserves to. He's been a fine number two for the Titans this year, and I hope he's back next year, but I don't see how he makes the Pro Bowl. A.J. Brown, though, is, I mean, making electrifying plays every single week. I believe he leads the league at the receiver position in 40-plus-yard touchdowns again this year. He's not in the top 10 right now. Why?
1: You know, that's tough to answer outside of perhaps (laughs) just being, you know, still a small market situation. He's not in the top 10 among all receivers or just in the AFC?
0: AFC receivers. Well, according to John Glennon, who's been tweeting out like where where the Titans stand or maybe – is it John Glennon? Did I just wrongly associate? I think it's John Glennon. Um, Yeah, according to him, uh, yeah the AJ Brown is not in the top 10 of receiver voting for the AFC right now. Not in yeah, That's crazy. Position. He
1: certainly deserves to be there. When I think of guys who have also, I think have had some terrific seasons, you know, in the AFC, certainly, um, you know, Stefan Diggs comes to mind. Um, you know, he's been great for Buffalo. Keenan Allen has been very good um, for the Chargers, despite them not winning many games. He's been very good. Uh, but AJ Brown certainly deserves to be, I, I would think he deserves to be in the top
0: five in the AFC, wouldn't you? I agree and and I'm not 100% sure if the top 10 is AFC only it just says of Pro Bowl voting so that could be it probably includes the NFC then might as well include the NFC or else I feel like they would specify but yeah I'm just scrolling through Glennon's timeline trying to see if that was him who tweeted it so maybe it was Jim Wyatt I don't know you know who knows. We'll just have to say that somebody in Titans Media is on top of the Pro Bowl voting. It was one of the older members of Titans Media? It was either Glenn the, or Wyatt? One of the originals, the OGs. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not seeing it on his timeline here, and it would make more sense for Jim Wyatt to have access to that information. But okay, let's move on to our next position here. Any offensive lineman on your ballot?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, maybe Roger Saffold and Nate Davis. I would say Ben Jones, too. I mean, yeah, ben, center's I a tough ben, position. Ben Jones probably belongs in the conversation, at least, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. those three, you can make strong arguments for any of them, any of those three.
0: Yeah, I would probably put Nate Davis as my number one. And the biggest reason is that nobody knows about him outside of Nashville. So, right. Like we got to get this going. I feel like you and I and everyone at Broadway could start a little campaign here to get Mike, Nate is, trying. Davis. Mike is trying his hardest. I know he is. <laughs> I know. I know he is. And, and I have seen some love for Nate Davis um, around the Twitter sphere. You got Brian Baldinger Jim, tweeting. Baldy, it. You yeah. Got, Baldy mentioned them. You got Jeff Schwartz who Titans fans love out there tweeting it out. And <laughs> <laughs> stuff. you know what? It was Jim Wyatt. It was hundred percent Jim Wyatt. I am looking at it right now. Aside from Butler and Derrick Henry, no other Titan is in the top 10 in fan voting at their position. So I do believe that is for the entire NFL. And I also believe that that is wrong, but it also doesn't necessarily matter because it's only fan voting, which is not, it doesn't make up the entire criteria selection. But let's talk about Malcolm Butler because he is, if the pro bowl voting ended today, Butler is in, which is like not surprising to me, but it is surprising to me. If for no other reason, the Titans defense has not been good this whole season.
1: I think where it's not surprising in a sense is, look, a lot, a lot of people are going to vote for names um, that they recognize. Let's be honest. And, and Malcolm Butler's a name everyone recognizes because of the infamous uh, interception in the Super Bowl. So with that said, I do think he's played at some, some really good football this year. I think he started kind of slow. I think he's been excellent as of late. I'd have to do a deeper dive into AFC corners, to be honest with you. I don't know that yeah. I'm prepared to say he definitely deserves to be there. I can see why he's maybe on the cusp and belongs in the conversation, but I I don't know that I can say with certainty that Malcolm Butler deserves to be there, and it's kind of ironic because it sounds like outside of Derrick Henry, Malcolm Butler is the only one um, outside of the fan voting that's probably going to get in.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tannehill 100% should get in, so I don't know how he's possibly outside the top 10. Maybe that's... Maybe there's eight NFC quarterbacks ahead of him or something, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Tannehill has been a top five quarterback in this league. NFL has had him in the top five of their QB index for the last five weeks in a row. So I don't see how Tannehill doesn't make it. We've already talked about Tannehill though. I just want to say Malcolm Butler did start kind of slow. He had two interceptions in that Buffalo game week four. I think Mike pointed this out in a chat with us that that could have an impact um, just in in fans' minds because that was a Tuesday night game on primetime and the Titans beat down the bills that is that beat down i've said that word three times tonight you'll hear the other two later in the (laughs) the interview um but the titans defense has stepped up lately and also butler has a lot of tackles which according to mike again when you go to the pro bowl voting on the website which i haven't done yet because i tweet my pro bowl votes and i should maybe also go to the website but i haven't yet butler is listed there. They list the interceptions and the tackle numbers and Butler is really high in tackles, mostly because the Titans linebackers have been terrible at getting tackles in the run game. But so Butler's had to step up and pick up some of the slack. But I think that's another reason you're seeing him getting some love. Anyone else on your Titans Pro Bowl ballot?
1: Uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jeffrey Simmons deserves uh, to go to the Pro Bowl this year. He's only a sophomore. It's incredible but uh, he does deserve to make his first Pro Bowl appearance this season.
0: Couldn't disagree. I mean, sorry. Couldn't agree more. What? Uh, <laughs> you couldn't, couldn't disagree agree.
1: with me because you'd be crazy
0: to do so is what you meant to say. That's a hundred percent what I meant to say. That'll wrap up our little Titans Pro Bowl ballot argument there. Not much to argue about. Go vote for every single Titan just because as a small market team, they need all the love and help they can get in getting into that Pro Bowl, but definitely vote for Tannehill Henry, A.J. Brown, Malcolm Butler, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, and Jeffrey Simmons. That's our ballot, right? Did I leave anyone out? That's our ballot. I love it. All right, let's talk really Fred quickly Curd about maybe. some—
1: I mean, he missed a couple games, but—
0: The I, only yeah, reason I left him off is because he missed a couple games. But you know what? He's still the MV punter, so we'll throw him on— <laughs> Just because he deserves it. He was the number one punter in the league last year. He made the Pro Bowl last year. Why not send him back this year? He deserves it. He's a great punter. And you really saw how much the Titans missed him when Trevor Daniel is out there shanking 17-yard punts, right? So if that doesn't make him a stronger case, then I don't know what would, right? It's a very good point. Before we get to our interview with Jeff Lloyd talking about the Browns game, let's just really quickly cover these injury notes. So the, the one I want to touch on is Kari Blassingame left. Well, he was limited in Thursday's practice with a shoulder injury, which when to me, typically, when you're a full participant on Wednesday and a limited participant on Thursday, that usually means you left that practice with that injury. So I am feeling scared about Kari Blassing game. The rest of the injury report, all the guys who missed Harold Landry and Isaiah Wilson missed with illness. A.J. Brown has been taking Thursdays off the whole season. Adoree Jackson, still nobody knows if he's ever going to play again. Um, Dennis Kelly, Roger Saffold, I I feel like all these – Jeffrey Simmons, I think they're all maintenance days. Kari Blassen game, though, when you pop up with a limited in the middle of the week, I get, I get worried. I feel like we're not going to see him this weekend. I'm just totally speculating, but any thoughts on the injury front?
1: I mean, I think you bring up a good point that it's probably not a great sign that a guy goes from a full participant to a limited participant. It's possible that they're, you know, limiting his workload. But even then, uh, it seems strange in how this has happened with him. So uh, I'm not going to I'm going to stop short of saying we won't see him this week. But uh, I understand why there's cause for concern.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to check Friday's report to really know. And then my last little thing is on A.J. Brown. He's been shown up every week with a knee. And this week that changed to a hip. And I don't know if that means anything. I don't know if it's a new injury. I know he's, we know he's been nursing this knee thing for pretty much the whole season, but he was a little slow to get up a couple times in that game last weekend against the Colts. He couldn't really tell if he was just like frustrated with the way the play went down or if he was feeling soreness in his lower body. But the fact that he practiced in full on Wednesday makes me think that they are just writing down whatever his most ailing ailment is as a way to like get him because they have to write something on the injury report.
1: Yeah. I feel like, again, uh, you, you know, we've mentioned it in previous weeks and with this injury report, this is a lengthy one that came out on Thursday. seems like they use this for maintenance days. So I'm not going to make a whole lot. There's a ton of guys out there missing, right? Anthony Furster was out. Dennis Kelly was out. AJ Brown. I think Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, all kinds of guys. So I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into that, but if we see something uh, see those guys continue to be missing today when people are listening to this, which will be Friday. Uh, then yeah, definitely cause for concern at that point.
0: Yeah. All right. Any other news or notes you want to cover? want to talk about how awesome Nate Davis is some more, or are we just going to jump into this Jeff Lloyd interview talking about the Browns game? I think we should jump into the Jeff Lloyd interview. It was a very good one. I was, I was happy to have
1: Jeff on the show uh, for looking again, for some input on the Cleveland Browns. It's, you know, he, he's one of the best out there and it was exciting to have him. and uh, let's get right to it.
0: All then, without further ado, let's welcome him in now. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Jeff, thanks for joining us, and how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Um, this is,
2: and the first thing that pains me about Sunday is that this is a one o'clock game. Um, you guys obviously were established as playing in the AFC Championship last year, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Browns at eight and three. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I just it just dumbfounds me that this is actually a one o'clock kickoff this week.
0: The Titans always play at one o'clock, so the Titans fans are going to be used to that. It's actually quite annoying. As are the Browns
2: fans, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, you think the two eight and three teams possible playoff preview? If if not the way seating works out right now, not wouldn't be the first round. But they. You never know how things could shake up. This could be a potential preview. So we're really excited to get into asking you about the Browns so we can learn more about this week's opponent. Obviously, Titans fans probably remember last week or last season's beatdown. Uh, no offense, the Titans opened things up in the second half last year and really ran away with it. I think this year's game is going to be pretty different, though.
2: Um, well, A-number one, I'm hoping. Uh, A-number two, thanks for bringing that up. That was a painful memory. Uh, a number three, um, I, I think, and this is where, with both teams, um, obviously it's the Derrick Henry show as far as running the ball for Tennessee. Uh, the Browns do a fantastic job of, with their combination of Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. I'm sorry, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Um, so that's going to be key, but I think it's almost going to be interesting how it works out because I think both running games are going to be, maybe able to cancel each other out. So then it gets to, you know, wide receivers, it gets to tight ends, and most certainly it's going to get to Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield. And it may not be so much what they actually do positive or what maybe Ryan Tannehill or Baker Mayfield maybe do negative. One turnover from either one of these quarterbacks could prove to be the ultimate difference in this game on Sunday. It, it, it's it's a great matchup, um, and there's a lot of players on Tennessee that I just appreciate. Uh, I just enjoy their skill level. I'm still dumbfounded that Harold Landry is there as opposed to the draft of Austin Corbett, for God's sakes, um, when you already had two great guards on the roster. Um, But, hey, we're at at where we're at. Both teams are eight and three. Um, Browns are in a pretty solid position wild card wise. Tennessee obviously trying to, you know, strengthen their lead within the AFC South. It's going to be fun one Sunday. There's just no way around it.
1: I'm excited for it. And one thing I'm curious about Jeff is is obviously we brought you on here because uh, not only are you a friend, but you know, the Cleveland Browns inside out and and that's what we're looking for. And, (laughs) and one thing I'm interested in uh, to get your take on is coach Stefanski. Um, You know, here he comes as a first year head coach, a young guy, obviously had a lot to prove a fan base that is, uh, you know, unfortunately is, is used to being burned when it comes to new head coaches and hope and and things of that nature. He comes in and and they get killed week one. It was only week one, but they got dominated by the Ravens. They got embarrassed by the Ravens in week one. And it's only week one as we knew it was, but I'm sure there was a lot of, here we go again. I'm sure there was a lot of overreacting within that media and within that fan base. What have your impressions been of Coach Stefanski so far? Uh, Well, look, you look at any
2: new regime that was put into place this year. Um, and what do you normally get with the new regime? Hey, you get a little bit more extra time. We'll give you more OTAs. That was all taken away. Um, you take away, you know, when camp started, you take away preseason. Um, the thing that has been in week one, no doubt about it, obviously it brought some hesitation, but anytime that you heard, you know, whether it was coach Stefanski speak or new general manager, Andrew Berry speak or Paul DePodesta, who's been here for a while and basically clamored, for this regime to be put in place to run this organization. Everything is now uniform. And it's correct just as far as speaking. This is what we're looking to do. This is what we're looking to accomplish. Nobody's looking to get a a hashtag slapped onto a T-shirt, trying to catch eyes. Everything is about putting in the work. And I, I was, I'll be honest, I was extremely hesitant. Like, you know, we're working really hard. We're putting in this offense through Zoom. And it's like, wow, I mean, like, this is great, and it sounds fantastic, but how is this all really going to translate and come to fruition when you actually finally take the field? But it has. And what I love about Coach Stefanski is, you know, a a lot of people, oh, he's going to go there. It's going to be a great passing game for Baker Mayfield. What has Coach Stefanski done? He's realized that Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt are the two best assets he has. And this is before Odell Beckham Jr. went down. They run the ball really well. They try to throw, and they certainly, you know, take their opportunities and mix in the passing game. But when the rubber meets the road, they get to a tough situation. He doesn't hesitate. He is paid to win football games. He's not paid to get Baker Mayfield his fifth-year option. That's not part of his job. He is paid to win football games. His team is 8-3. and three. They get in the tough situations. He looks, to that, looks back and says, all right, it's either going to be 24 or 27. The last three weeks as the Browns are currently on a three game winning streak, Nick Chubb, long run to close out the Texans victory. Nick Chubb, long run to close out the victory over the Eagles. Third and 13 on the road versus the Jaguars. Granted it was, you know, shouldn't have been that close. Screen pass, Nick Chubb, get the first down. He knows what is working for him. He's not out there trying to force things, doing anything else and Football is such a complex game, but also there is so much simplicity to it if you stick to what works best for you. You look at this Cleveland Browns roster. You have Nick Chubb, you have Miles Garrett, who are probably, without a doubt, the two best players on your team. Miles Garrett was on an incredible pace in the early part of the season, you know, before he missed two games due to his uh, COVID 19, you know, positive test. Nick Chubb missed some time. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes just trust your playmakers and your stars to be the key to victory. And this team sits here eight and three, headed into Week 13 now, coming down to Nashville. There's plenty of time to in year two, year three, to implement more of what you would truly like to do. But the bottom line is, play what you think is your best hand, and that is what Coach Stefanski has done to this point, and has been extremely refreshing and impressive to watch.
1: And he's obviously done a terrific job. And, you know, I hadn't thought of this prior, but you talking about him now, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of buzz for coach of the year for him. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of Mike Tomlin, which, of course, is understandable. I've seen some Mike Vrabel. Hey, we're not going to argue on this show. We love Vrabel here. But uh, I haven't seen a lot of Coach Stefanski. And for him to come in and have this team eight and three. And, yeah, you know, it's a talented roster. But, hey, it's not that different from the one that was a disaster last year. You know, Nick Chubb was there last year. Baker Mayfield was there last year. Miles Garrett was there last year. Odell was there last year. Jarvis Landry was there last year. So it's not like they came in and got him a bunch of guys that weren't there. It's a lot of the same guys that failed to put wins on the board last year. So for him to come in and have this teammate and again, as a first year head coach, dealing with all that he's dealing with and, and, you know, with the offseason being shortened, as you mentioned, it's a hell of a job he's done.
2: It truly is. Um, And the thing is, because if you're going to talk about folks who who should be mentioned for Coach of the Year, and Brian Flores is another name, and this is one I actually talked about last year with Brian Flores because his team played really, really tough. And even though you were like, who in the world are these guys? Uh, That's how bad the Dolphins situation got last year. Um, You know, look, and uh, Coach Stefanski, he could care less about being Coach of the Year. He knows what it means for this team to play one more game After January 4th, he knows, and it doesn't matter if they get lambasted 40 to nothing in a playoff game. He knows what it would mean for this city, for this franchise to just get to that point, which right now the odds look pretty good. Knock on wood, obviously. Does he deserve the credit? Um, He probably does deserve. And he would say, and it's just the way he is. He would say, look, the reason I maybe am not up for this award is because of my defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, because of my offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, who has taken to a rookie tackle, uh, a new tackle we brought in, and he has taken Wyatt Teller, not just from a good player, to one of the top guards in the NFL. And that's just the way he is. Look, he's not going to give the award back if they give it to him. Um, Does he certainly deserve his name to be in, you know, in recognition for it? no doubt about it as does any maybe first year head coach this year with any doing any, any success. Um, but it's been a pleasure to see. And he's, he's passionate. He's smart. He's simple. The media, they still try to you know get these quotes where they can go run with something and he either dodges them or he gives them a vanilla ice cream where they can't just go and, you know, run with some big topic because maybe he called somebody out and, you know, or, you know, they'll ask a question, where they're trying to get the, you know, trying to get the, the the fire answer out of him that'll you know get people to read the piece. And he's ah, now that's a question for you guys to cover. And it's just, it's a delight to see because so many guys over the years with Cleveland have taken the bait.
1: And I, I want to get into Nick Chubb a little bit more. I know you, you've touched on him quite a bit, but what a terrific year he's having, um, at, you know, What does he mean to this offense? It's a silly question because I know, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what he means, but talk to us a little about what he's done for this team this year because it really feels like he's the engine that makes this offense go.
2: The thing with Nick Chubb, and it's, first of all, he's like the absolute joy to cover as a player because it is 100% about the product on the field. He doesn't speak much. He barely speaks. He does not really even like having to do, Uh, you know, sitting down with the media and, you know, it's just not his style. It's, you know, he's just got this do your job mentality, but the thing that's been most impressive and, you know, obviously I talked about, you know, what he's done the last couple of weeks, but nobody would have cared. And, you know, granted, they asked him to step out. You know, look, if you get this first down, kill the clock, go down, take a knee. We don't want to give the ball to Sean Watson again, but who goes 60 yards and says, I'll make sure I step out at the one because that's the right thing to do. And the thing is, he's not a vocal leader by any means. But when you have your best players setting the tone as far as, you know, this is what is best for all 53 of us, and that tells you when you get into a situation where people are getting injured and you're asking your third, fourth, and fifth safety, or your third, fourth, and fifth linebacker, or perhaps this week, your third, fourth, and fifth cornerback to step up they feel this obligation like they're going to give every drop they have because when you see your star players balling out and then doing what is asked and, and doing what is best for the team, that is what there was so much talk about Jarvis Landry changing the culture in 2018 when he got here. No, this is what changes the culture when your absolute best players put the team before themselves. Nick Tubb, I mean, we're talking about, you know, contract here and, you know, there's still people who are going to nickel and dime things. Oh, well, you only scored X amount of touchdowns. It wouldn't have mattered, but that's just not the way the guy is wired. He is truly just a different, different breed as far as what any athlete in this current 2020 era or, you know, of the last three, four years where, you know, they act like they're you know all about everything, but everybody's about their stats. Nick Chubb isn't about that. And just with this offense, the way it's construed, he's got excellent vision along with his general, just God given talent. And you see, and it's almost like he kind of like baits defenses in early in the game, like he'll run and ignore the cutback. And then it gets to the point now where the defense is really overflowing. And he just kind of gives this look like, all right, now we really got you. I'm not cutting back for five or six. I'm cutting back for 20 for 25, just an absolute pleasure to watch play cover. And just the type of guy he is. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's the, you know, I got two daughters, but if you were going to raise a son, this is the type of guy you'd want to have. He doesn't put himself. He doesn't think he's bigger than anybody else. And this certainly happens with skill positions on offense. He's just a true team player. The Browns didn't announce captains for the season. They announced captains by week. But if there was one player of this entire 53-man unit who would deserve a C for the entire season, it is unquestioned that it's Nick Chubb.
0: Interesting. Yeah, obviously Chubb is a hell of a runner. We saw him very, very nearly win the rushing title until Derrick Henry stole it right from his grasp in week 17. (laughs) Well,
2: thanks, Freddie Kitchens, for that one, by the way. Right. ignore the guy and just give him one – I think it was two carries in the in the second half of a game that meant nothing. If he could have done anything, at least get the guy that rushing title. You
0: right. Know. I want to move to, the, to your quarterback there, Baker Mayfield, who's been a little bit of a polarizing guy since the Browns spent the first overall pick on him. And Odell Beckham goes down week seven we we've been kind of waiting to see what this Browns passing offense would look like without him because they've since week seven, they hadn't played a game in like, I think under 20 miles or 15 mile per hour winds, Vegas, Houston, Philly all in heavy winds and Mayfield didn't really look great, but of course you don't really expect him to look great with that kind of weather goes to Jacksonville where the weather is beautiful against a really bad pass defense and had a great day, averaged almost nine yards per attempt through a couple of touchdowns but it looked like almost all of his production went to Jarvis Landry. What do you make of this passing attack now? What Do you you think Baker Mayfield is the Browns quarterback of the next 10, 15 years?
2: I mean, maybe that's a little bit too early to tell, but how do you – and the thing is, is if they're going to make the playoffs, you're going to be drafting in the 20s. So how are you going to essentially change this? He's going to be the quarterback for 2021 – Uh, It could be a situation similar to like a guy like Joe Flacco, who didn't have his fifth year option picked up and then ended up winning that Super Bowl for the Ravens and then was there for a couple of years more. He's and this is where it's crazy. And as much as uh, and I'll tell you right now, there's no bigger Odell Beckham Jr. fan than me. And when he was brought in for twenty nineteen, I was just like, oh, man, let's go. But Baker is more of, and I described this plenty of times during 2018, during his rookie year, he's more of like the painter with the palette. If he he just takes his read, hits his plant foot, takes a step up, and it didn't matter in 2018 if you were wide receiver one, wide receiver four, tight end one, tight end three, or a back out. He read, reacted, and threw the ball to the open guy. When you get a player like Odell Beckham Jr. at your disposal, that, that goes away a little bit because you realize just the immense talent that you have in a player like that. So, yeah, you start to maybe push things. Yeah, you maybe start to, you know, force things. And that's where Baker kind of maybe lost his way in his maturation process at a quarterback. That first game where Odell went down, you know, blew out the ACL against Cincinnati, uh, no completions in the first quarter. He went on to throw five touchdown passes, throw for 297 yards in the following three quarters. That month of games, and it was three games within a month because the Browns' bye week was in there. Yes, the weather was terrible. It was, I mean, beyond terrible. But you go to that Las Vegas Raiders game, Jarvis Landry dropped two touchdown passes. David Njoku dropped a huge crossing route that would have been a first down. They should have won that game if it wasn't for the drops. As much as people want to get on Baker Mayfield, nobody's getting on anybody else for the mistakes that were made in that game, which was maybe the equivalent to the Titans losing to the Bengals. Um, There's always that one where you're just like, oh my God, how did we lose this one? That was the one. And if they had Wyatt Teller, if they had Nick Chubb, that whole day may have been different, whatever, you know, as far as, you know, I wish I had, or, you know, obviously everybody knows that the way that plays, but you've got a month now without an interception, 123 passing attempts. Now, with an interception. Uh, Rashard Higgins, he has a great relationship with. Cordero Hodge, he has a great relationship with. And this tight end group with Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku, they have not scratched the surface yet. I mean, this is a a tight end trio that is probably capable of a 13-14 reception game, 150 yards, multiple touchdowns. They haven't got that going enough yet, which Baker always had success you know, in college, early in his career with the Browns, with tight ends. Austin Hooper, they paid him, obviously, top tight end money, and he hasn't had a game yet where he's cleared 60 yards receiving. They didn't bring him here to be an extended tackle. They wanted more, but they just haven't gotten that part going yet, which makes you believe when Coach Stefanski says, I think there's going to be more, he's going to break out. And that's where you look at. You look at the fact that this tight end group is really, really talented, but they really just haven't gotten to that point yet where they've gotten all three working in harmony to, you know, on a Sunday to give somebody headaches where they can start going more vertical down the field. We'll see when it ever happens. I'm not sure which week it's going to happen. It's going to, but he's just really got to be smart and efficient at this point. That's all they need with this running game. And with the fact that Miles Garrett is just a freak on the other side of the ball.
0: I really think the two offenses in this game, you you mentioned how the running games might cancel each other out, but they are pretty similar in terms of they want to win on the ground and then use that to build into their passing game. But I want to move now to the other side of the ball with the defense, Miles Garrett, finally returning. The Browns had a lot of trouble getting pressure on Mike Glennon last week against the Jaguars. Granted, they were able to sack Carson Wentz five times a couple of weeks ago with Vernon getting three sacks in that game. But the Eagles offensive line is, as we know, one of the worst in the NFL right now, dealing with lots of injuries and other issues. So I'm curious if you think that Garrett, how, how big of a boost? Obviously, he's a phenomenal player. I personally placed a bet on him to win defensive player of the year before the season started. So I'm rooting for him to get some big splash plays <laughs> and boost his profile. But what are your thoughts on the, this Browns defense overall and especially Garrett's impact?
2: Well, the Browns defense has taken, it's taken a significant, significant hit. Um, they had a lot they thought Grant Elbert was going to be. Um, you lost him early. That led to the Ronnie Harrison trade. I'll be honest, though. If the Ronnie Harrison trade was there and Grant Talbot was healthy, I still think they would have done it just because you can get a starter for a fifth-round pick and you at least have – you know. Uh, to control him under his contract for two years you're going to make that move uh so losing you know grant Elpit and now ronnie harrison and it's weird to say things like well we think ronnie harrison might be back for the playoffs when we're talking about the cleveland browns just crazy to think about um but certainly a possibility um but the biggest the biggest hit i think for this week is linebacker sione takitaki he's been really trying to find his way here um the eagle game had his best game as a pro but when you're talking about playing against Derrick Henry, it's who's got the stones. Who's crazy enough to say, yeah, I'm going to go chase that six to 200. And I love when they say 235 pounds, Derrick Henry does not weigh 235 pounds. Who are we kidding? I'm going to go tackle that six to 250 pound running back. Every opportunity I get, even if I fall off, I mean, you see people tap out versus Derrick Henry. So you Taki was the one who's got the stones and he's a little bit crazy enough to, yeah, I'll go run into that brick wall as many times as you need me to coach. So that's a big loss, and it's been it's been good to see, you know, other guys at least stepping up and giving the best they can. But when you get into games like this, where you're playing solid teams, teams that are established, and now for you know obviously for the Titans, this has been a more than a year long run as far as you know how they run their offense. Um, Denzel Ward, I'll be honest, Denzel Ward, this might not be the week. Where you're so concerned that Denzel Ward is out um, against Davis, against AJ Brown. Denzel Ward's a smaller guy. This might not be the week he would have made much of an impact anyway. Granted, you'd love to have him out there. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough matchup. And because you know the wide receivers are built like tight ends. And so you got to be ready to go. And I mean, you look at AJ Brown, you look at John Newsmith, you look at Davis all in the huddle. If you didn't know, you wouldn't know who the tight end was. You wouldn't know who the wide receiver was. These are just big, physical guys with great yak ability. Um, so, it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be hopefully Olivier Vernon, who had five sacks between the Texans game and the uh, Eagles game. And you get Miles Garrett back. I think here. Raiders,
0: Raiders, and Eagles.
2: Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely correct. Um a defensive player. I'm literally so hoping- looking
0: at his game log. So you're yes. good.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you're getting Vernon, you know, you're getting Vernon, uh, you know, now comfortable, healthy. You have miles here. Um, last week they tried to blitz a little bit more and it was weird because, you know, Mile. I mean, Mike Lennon, who's just an absolute statue didn't go down much. My question this week though, is, are you going to try to sell out a little bit more? Cause the one thing we know with Derrick Henry is, you want those first two or three steps to be laterally, not vertically North and South. And that maybe at least gives you some sort of chance at success. I'm not saying it's going to work, but that's probably the approach you got to take. Um, and you know, he certainly had his weeks where that didn't matter anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that, Jeff, about um, about Ward being out it, it maybe not being the worst week, so to speak. And of course, like you said, you always want him out there, but because us here, you know, Graver and I, and the Titans, you know, fan base in general, feels like. You know, Cleveland, you know, they know the Titans want to run Derrick Henry. Everybody knows the Titans want to run Derrick Henry. We feel like, albeit with a limited knowledge of the Browns, we felt like maybe this is a good week with Denzel Ward out uh, to get Ryan Tannehill really uh, get him some more work than you normally would, right? Make sure he's throwing the ball a lot more to your A.J. Browns, to your Corey Davises, to your Jonu Smiths. We feel like typically this may be a game where the Titans passing offense does more of the heavy lifting. I certainly could see, see the possibility
2: of that. And that's where, you know, it's going to be key, obviously for the Browns to run the ball. Well, Uh, obviously eliminate, uh, you know, three and outs, but that also brings into the factor where you're going to have Olivier Vernon, you're going to have miles Garrett, you're going to have Adrian Claiborne. So is, you know, is the offensive line going to be able to do their job to make that happen for Tennessee? Uh, So it makes for a difficult situation. You know, uh, you know, Sheldon Richardson is certainly no slouch from rushing from the inside. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, he's, he's not the player he was earlier in his career. Um, he's trying to go the Aaron Donald path where you you want to be more muscular, more quicker. Little, I mean, you know, only one person follows the Aaron Donald path, and that's Aaron Donald. Rookie Jordan Elliott, though. He's been a really, really nice surprise. And with the Browns... Big you know,
1: Jordan Elliott guy.
2: Uh, fan, I mean, fantastic player. He's smart. Um, he does his job. And, like, people, guys like him... Olivier Vernon is similar guys like him kind of get disrespected when it doesn't show up in the box score, because that's what people look for. You want to look for guys who are doing what the assignment is. Um, and you may not always, you know, get the glory, but you know, those are the guys who are appreciated. And those are the guys that coaches say, all right, let's get him some more reps. Uh, their D line besides Porter Gustin should be completely intact. And this is going to be a week. And, and I hate to do this to miles Garrett because he's already done this like three or four times this year. It's gonna be where you're gonna need Miles Garrett to make a big one. You know, you're gonna need him. To, you know, man. If can we get the trifector? Can we get the sack, the forced fumble, the fumble recovery? If you can get maybe one of those out of Miles Garrett this week, that could be the difference in whether or not you know the Browns win this, or whether or not this is even a close
1: game. Yeah. Now the Titans are on their third string left tackle. Uh, if we asked Miles Garrett to to take it easy, do you think he'd be willing to do that? <laughs> See,
2: here's the thing, though, and this is what <laughs> with, with Miles Garrett this year, and they did it with Miles Garrett early in his career. They did not do it last year. They'll take Miles Garrett and put him anywhere. And it's not always because it's the easiest matchup, because they'll try to find ways to say, all right, well, if your left tackle is the weakest, all right, let's make sure he's got no help whatsoever. So you may see Olivier Vernon lining up over the left tackle, because anywhere Miles goes, it's not just going to be one on one attention. Um, and they've been able smart with that and they've been able to make that work and line up anywhere, whole lineup, you know, obviously, you know, whole lineup inside shade over the center, you know, whole lineup over a guard, whole lineup over the right tackle. And they like moving these guys around. Obviously it keeps. And part of the reason why Joe Woods does it is it keeps guys stimulated. Like, you know, if you go bang against the same guy for 60, 70 reps, whatever, that's one thing. And sometimes it's, Oh, let me go step away and all right, let me try at least something different and you know joe woods is smart with that um but yeah by all means um if you're on your third string left tackle um and i'm not even sure is, is Isaiah wilson even truly starting as the right tackle the first round pick? hasn't um, hasn't
0: played he's played i think what did he play two or three snaps at the end of the game last week just to help logan woodside take the knee and he played on a, a field goal block and got knocked on his ass
1: that's all he's played yeah I, 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 that's and
0: it's a shame
2: because sometimes again, Justin, as you know, a character that is the one thing is the most difficult thing to find uh, during the draft process. And obviously, he's had his shares of ups and downs thus far. And I really thought the kid was going to pan out. I thought he was going to be a solid player. It's not going to say it's not going to happen in the next few years, but if you have you know some concerns with the offensive line, with the way this Browns defensive line is going to be constructed for this game, with Miles Garrett coming back, and the reports from practice are good because like. Uh, it's you don't know how these guys, when they're good enough to come back from COVID are going to be, you know, you're going to question stamina, you know, obviously breathing, you know, how are these guys going to be able to go. But all reports are that, you know, Miles Garrett is just firing off the ball like he always was.
1: Now, now, let's pre let's preface that with this offensive line here in Tennessee probably played their Not probably played their best game of the season last week. They were unbelievable in Indianapolis. Granted, that was without DeForest Buckner, and I believe uh, Dina Kuatri was the other uh, D-lineman that was out for Indianapolis. But this offensive line was unbelievable last week. They were firing on all cylinders, and that third-string left tackle, and Graver will agree with me, is better than the second-string left tackle. That was in there. It's almost a blessing in disguise. We, we have a feeling that this third string left tackle has entered the fray. Now, with that said, he's still a third string left tackle, and he's certainly not going to, you know, have much success blocking Miles Garrett one-on-one. They're not going to ask him to do so. They're going to chip John U. Smith a whole lot. They're going to ask, uh, you know, Michael Pruitt, who may be back for this game finally. He was a terrific blocking tight end. They're going to ask him to do some of that work. He he's can take not the back. week off. Right, yeah, it's Jeff Jeff Swaim in there, who's another great (laughs) blocking tight end. It's Anthony for like, they're going to throw everything they can to chip and battle. Olivier Vernon, correct me if I'm wrong, Graver, I may be pulling this out of thin air, but he's had some great games against the Titans, even maybe when wearing different uniforms. I want to say he was in Miami where he had a hell of a game. He
0: injured Marcus Mariota. He
1: did. Yeah, that was right. it was a dirty hit, if I remember correctly. Actually. It was a dirty hit. It was a dirty, but regardless, <laughs> he's a very good player. They're very aware of how good he is. And uh, as good as this offensive line is playing, no, of course, they got their hands full. And it's going to be, I think, a terrific battle to watch this uh, very talented Cleveland defensive line go up against this O-line, who, again, by all intent and purposes, had their best performance of the year last week. Yeah. Yes, and,
2: but in the same respect, though, you know, the Browns handled that Colts defensive line as well. Uh, look, I mean, you know, I'm sure your fans, uh, fans of your guys show a lot. I, I, I just don't see it with the Colts. Oh, um, uh, no, either. we don't. I, I like a lot. <laughs> I like a lot that they have going on. But I mean, look, Philip Rivers, it, it really seems like, man, we're riding on the rim. The gas tank is empty. The check engine light is on. Uh, you oh. know, and to think, you know, they need him to go five more game. I, 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 <laughs> I just I just don't see it. I,
0: I don't see how Rivers, if they get down in a playoff game against like an actual good defense, like a playoff defense, Rivers is throwing the game losing interception. It's, it's already written. Did like, you it's see the happen. safety?
2: If you guys haven't seen it, see the safety um, when the Browns played him. He didn't want to get killed, so he literally just tossed the ball like 75 yards to the sideline. He was dead in the po- I mean he was straight in the pocket. Everybody knew and he's looking around like, "Well, what do you mean? What's the co-? it's intentional grounding, dude. There's no <laughs> around this. You can't I mean, there's nobody unless, you know, TY Hilton was standing in row 7. No, it's intentional <laughs> grounding. Um, he, Philip Rivers I mean, and you know, look, I mean, great player, Eli Manning, P- Ben Roethlisberger, all part of that class. Um but, you know, Eli should still be playing before Philip Rivers should be in my opinion.
0: Right.
1: I think there's no better analogy for Philip rivers than the check engine light is on. That's my favorite. <laughs> yep. You know, and I don't blame the guy. I mean, I wouldn't want to go home either if I got like 17 kids, but you know, look, bro,
2: it's time to pack it up, dude.
0: Right. Maybe try coaching. Then you can stay at the office all night. And Doesn't go he home. already have a
2: job? He already has a job coaching. Like, they already gave him a high school job. Right. That's right. You know, see, yes, yeah. I remember He's reading about got, that. Yeah. He's already got his, his, I mean, like, who signs up for a high school varsity coaching job but still plays in the NFL? Like, I mean, dude, like, you're already three quarters away the there. Just go. Pretty
0: terrific. Right. We are going to wrap this up here soon. We're going to finish off with predictions. That's how we like to end things on this show. And I'm going to lead this in by telling you something that you probably dislike hearing because you've probably already talked about it, but the Browns at eight and three are one of two teams with a winning record and a negative point differential. The other team is Las Vegas who lost by 37 points last week and now have a negative point differential of minus 27. So before that they were positive. Browns obviously have a much better record two games ahead. What do you think of point differential? Does it matter? Are the Browns, a little bit fraudulent or is this going to be a good game? What do you think? What are you, I don't, you don't have to give us a score prediction. You can, if you want to, but just general game flow. How do you think this goes?
2: Look, I mean, with the point differential, I, I truly understand it. Um, but there's some positives for the Browns. Look, you, you're you, Who you play is who you play. And, and the fact that everybody, oh, they're eight and three, but who, who do they be? Well, who cares? Um, you know, plenty of years, New England Patriots got a very favorable schedule because of, you know, you played this division or you played this division. It, that, that part of it is what it is. I think the part that is a positive of this is look, even though you're not winning these games big versus the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Houston Texans, you're learning how to win close games. They didn't win games, period. So, I mean, like, and you need to learn how to put together 60 minutes. You need to learn how to put a game away with two minutes, three minutes, four minutes left on the clock. And they've been able to do that as far as Sunday. I wouldn't say terrified about, you know, how this looks, but the two biggest matchups they've had to this point have not been, you know, very good, but the Ravens going into that week one matchup, their offense was humming at the point. Like, you know, obviously they came off their fantastic 2019 regular season, and it didn't really hurt them that they had limited time. The Steelers, uh, they didn't have Wyatt Teller. They didn't have Nick Chubb, so they couldn't try to control you know the game somewhat with the run game. Um, and Pittsburgh just got after him with every guy possible within you know pass rushing and, and those things. And Baker, you know, had the rib issue going into that game. It's not an excuse, but you know he he wasn't 100. But getting the daylight speed out of him by those Pittsburgh defensive line certainly didn't help. I, I don't I don't think the Browns are essentially going to pull this one out. But if you told me it was 20 to 17, if you told me it was 23 to 20, I'd sign up in a heartbeat because it shows me that they're taking the next step of getting in the ring with with teams that have been there and at least can go the distance. Uh, You know, if it it turns out it's another one of these, you know, 30 to 7s, yeah, it's not going to destroy the Browns season, but you're certainly going to question about, you know, the old phrase, are you ready for prime time?
0: Right. I'll tell you my biggest concern with this game is the spot the Titans are in here. They're coming off a pretty tough stretch where they had to go Colts, Ravens, Colts requires a lot of, you know, focus and energy that that game against the Colts was huge. I think it's a really and they're physical. The Ravens are physical. That was a physical game in and of itself. I think that, you know, I don't want to be a downer for Titans fans listening, but this feels like one of those games the Titans don't show up to i just think that they're they must be feeling like we did it we did what we needed to do the last couple of weeks we're eight and three we're pretty much into the playoffs barring a colossal collapse down the stretch they might need a little wake-up call I'm not saying they do or don't but i'm hesitant to buy into the titans this week because it just like just like the Raiders last week going traveling to Atlanta, coming off a big game against the chiefs, you know, you come off a big division game. It takes a lot of energy to prepare for on the heels of another rivalry game with the Ravens. I I'm a little concerned that the Titans may not get up for this game.
2: I mean, so, I'm with you. Like, is, and the other thing is, is, you know, well, if you're worried about physicality, it, it, it's not going to be from this Browns defense. So that could be something that might help you out there to ease your concerns, Justin. <laughs>
0: thanks response?
1: just going back I don't mean to change topics but point differential I'll tell you why I don't personally care that the Browns have a winning record with a negative point differential so they lost week one by 32 points you know how much does that impact the, the, the point that they have a negative point differential and it was week one and as Jeff said you know who cares you yeah know, and then the, Dallas game, the, were, that was the, the Dallas game
2: and, and then the Cowboy game there was points where they were up by 30 and everybody's like oh well their prevent defense isn't very good Well, they haven't played prevent defense in a decade, so obviously it wasn't really good. So, I mean, you know, I mean, if you want to bring up point differential, I mean, my my first thing is, well, let's look at record first. I mean, you know, it's a great story to tell, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what is everybody getting paid for? You get paid for wins and losses.
0: I agree. It reminds me of the Titans in 2017 because they were the only playoff team to make the field with a negative point differential and the main reason for it was this like 40 something to 10 14 i think beat down they took in week four against the texans that year Mariota goes out with an injured hamstring it's like well yeah you lose a game by 50 points you're gonna have a negative point differential most likely at the end of the year if you're only a nine and seven team so i kind of feel like the browns are in that mold though of like this team's gonna be really good next year and the year after that and this year is a great like learning yep. experience for the whole young roster to get a, get a playoff trip under their belts. We'll see how they do. But anyway, Justin, you want to finish us off with your prediction for this?
1: No, I think um, I think the Titans win the game. I, I do. I, I don't, I don't have a fear right now that <laughs> you, did, yeah, you did. Yeah.
0: You did
2: you did this week one last year and man, did that look out right for you? <laughs> you remember that I was, was going to say, oh, I, 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 I wanted do. to
1: say you brought me on as your guest for locked on Browns prior to week one last year. And I said, I thought they were going to win it and boy, did they (laughs) ever. So uh, we're going to try my luck out again. I think it's going to be closer this time. Obviously I think it'll be a lot closer, but I do think the Titans show up and I I think they win the game. I do think it's a bad matchup for them. I I will say that I think Chubb has a, a great day. I think he has a big day, but I think Tannehill and the passing game. uh, I don't think this is a Derek Henry game. I think the passing game in Tennessee carries them to this victory. I think it'll be close. I'm going to say Titans 29 Browns 23. All right. I would take it. I would take it.
0: All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much again for joining us tonight. Remember everyone out there. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Give him a follow. Get the Browns perspective during Sunday's game because, hey, if the Titans are doing well, that might be fun for you to see. I don't know. Just throwing some ideas out there. <laughs> well, there you have it. I didn't give a final score prediction. Should I give a prediction? I think I hate to say this out loud. I'm not betting on the Titans this week. I like to bet on the Titans, especially when they're underdogs like last week. I'm not betting on the Titans this week. My score prediction is 30 to 24. Browns win Titans Get down big and make a comeback and then lose the game. I don't know. That's my, that's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hopefully I reverse jinx them. Okay. That's what I'm going for here. I don't know. Wow. Can you believe who I host this show with people? Making a sad face. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Music City Audible. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at MCA Broadway presented by Broadway Sports. That's at BroadwayTN, www.BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We are partnered with 440 Sports. And make sure you go check out that website. We got tons of articles and videos and stuff going up all day, every day. The most Titans coverage in one place I think you can find anywhere. That's just my opinion. It's also a fact. So check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Make sure you follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. Any last words before I hit stop? I think you've got it covered. Thank you, sir. We'll see you guys next week to preview the Jacksonville Jaguars rematch. Until then, stay safe out there, wear a mask and tighten up.